by the time the Gene Stealer Colts attack, they are already ten steps ahead of their foes. Enemies find their supply lines severed and their communications drowned out by sanity-blasting alien broadcasts. Keen-eyed assassins gun down those enemy commanders not already turned to the Colts' side. From below come uprisings of Xeno-tainted fanatics following notorious freedom fighters and psychic masterminds to overrun their panicked adversaries. Perhaps the uprising has been triggered prematurely, a hive of furious insects broken open by unwitting invaders from the stars. Perhaps the day of ascension has come, and the cult's faithful follow their allotted paths to glory. Whatever the catalyst, the result is the same. A world suddenly and violently overwhelmed by the unseen enemy within. As the uprising gathers pace, so its parasitic master emerges from the depths. Long has the patriarch hidden its nightmare visage from the light of day. Now, the entire war-torn world becomes its hunting ground as the alien monster leads its teeming brood to victory and, ultimately, their own nightmarish doom. Heralds of the Great Devourer The Tyranid Hive fleets push deeper into the galaxy with every passing year. The open ferocity of their planetary onslaughts is terrifying enough, yet the Xenos also possess other, more insidious means by which they can assail their prey. The gene-stealer cults are one such subtle ploy, and arguably the most nightmarish. The gene-stealer cults are perceived by imperial authorities to be a relatively recent threat. Their existence within the Emperor's realm was not detected until alarm bells were sounded by Chaplain Cassius and his Death Watch kill team on the mining world of Gosar Quintus. Yet how far the rot has truly spread is still a mystery. The Imperium is unimaginably vast, the most powerful galactic empire in existence, yet one thinly spread across the infinite blackness of the void. Many of its worlds labor under repressive regimes. The questionable necessity of their cruelty, unappreciated by those who toil beneath the overseer's lash. Rebellion is nothing new to such planets. Beyond count are the separatist uprisings, the schisms within the imperial faith, the power grabs by petty warlords or crime cartels, not to mention the spread of shadowy chaos cults or the attempted annexations by alien races such as the Tau. It was thanks to all these factors 
and the cunning and patience of the broodkin themselves that it took the Imperium so long to recognize the danger of the gene-stealer cults. On many worlds, it still remains an unknown and unlooked-for scourge. This, of course, only renders the cults all the more dangerous. The first hints of a gene-stealer cult infestation may come from inexplicable disappearances, thefts of equipment or material, or the appearance of sinister graffiti praising the star children, the three-armed gunmen, or the worm form. Occasionally, some incautious cult operative may be unmasked while attempting to infiltrate the higher echelons of imperial society. But the gene cults they serve are as subtle and patient as the tyranids from whose germ seed they spring. Thus, a cult's presence may be discernible only through mysterious improvements or an abnormal lack of trouble. Tithe quotas may improve markedly due to the efficiency of uncomplaining workers. Underhive crime may drop off sharply as the cult seeks to claim territory and prevent detection before they are ready for the uprising. Should an especially observant agent of the Ordo Xenos or Death Watch note these signs, armed intervention may see the cult brought to battle and potentially wiped out. Equally, should the infested world be subject to invasion from without, the Gene Stealer cult may launch its plans prematurely like an insect colony swarming to drive off those who threaten the nest. Most often, however, the rulers of a parasitized imperial world remain blissfully unaware of the threat growing behind their walls and beneath their feet. They have no warning until the day of ascension comes, and the long-hidden gene-stealer cult reveals its subterfuge, and rises to attack. What follows is a nightmare insurrection that rapidly shows just how far the rot has spread. From the lowest strata of civilization comes tides of miners, labor gangs, manufactorum serfs, and cult-corrupted underhivers they are organized. They are armed. They are fanatical in their belief that they are throwing off the chains of imperial oppression and that the star children might grace their world with their divine presence, elevating all true believers to a state of divine oneness. These hordes wear the stigmata of their alien mutation like a badge, and revel in unveiling their banners and icons in broad daylight at long last. From wilderness and wasteland come prospector clans and nomads who have long concealed their true nature 
behind dust shrouds and goggles. Now they race to aid the uprising. Amongst the masses swarm broods of larger, more monstrous beings, their aspect more Xenos than human, who wield industrial tools as lesser humans would brandish cudgels and blades. The rebels are led by hybrid war leaders, dynamic folk heroes, and potent psychers. They move rapidly to seize supply lines, capture command and control centers, and sabotage or secure vital sites such as sealed generatora and spaceports. The speed and surety with which they do this reveals just how meticulously the cult has planned its onslaught. Local law enforcers, planetary militia, and even garrison Astra Militarum regiments are mobilized to crush the uprising. As the machinery of war grinds into motion, cults amidst the Imperium ranks turn on their still loyal companions. Adeptus Arbides precinct fortresses fall from within. Defense regiments are paralyzed by savage infighting, or turn wholesale to the side of the insurgents. In some cases, even the most highly placed imperial servants throw off their disguises and are revealed as agents of the gene-stealer cult. Such figures use their purloined power to sow disinformation and anarchy through what remains of the loyalist defenders. As the uprising gathers momentum, isolated islands of imperial rule are drowned by the rising tide. Citizens, not even indoctrinated by the cult, may be swept up in the fervor of flinging off the imperial yoke. Population centers fall one by one, fortifications are captured, and their weapon batteries turned upon still loyal forces, or imperial void craft and shield platforms in low orbit. As the nightmare reaches its crescendo, the patriarch itself leaves its throne amidst its bubbling genesis pools and emerges from the shadows to hunt. The parasitic demigod at the heart of the uprising. This monster leads the final assault against those loyalist elements still battling to cleanse the infestation. Often, it is not the only overtly tyrannid organism to join this final campaign. A smothering psychic shroud falls across the world, seeding torment and dread as a tendril of the hive fleets draws nigh. The skies darken with invasion spores and gargantuan tentacles as the Xenos swarms descend. The faithful are enraptured, for surely here are their star children deities come to elevate their worshippers in glorious unity.
Only at the last, when the patriarch itself falls back under the direct control of the tyrannid hive mind and abandons its brood, do the cultists perceive the horror of their so-called victory. By this time, it is far too late, both for them and for whatever remains of the planet's overrun defenders. In truth, the gene-stealer cults are not the enlightened freedom fighters they believe themselves to be. Instead, they unwittingly serve two specific purposes for the Tyranid Hive fleets. The first of these is destabilizing regions of Imperial space ready for Tyranid attack. However beleaguered humanity might be, the Imperium still dominates great swathes of the galaxy and possesses ample armies and navies with which to resist the inexorable advance of the high fleets. Every world hollowed out from within by a gene-stealer cult is therefore another center of resistance undermined it, another hidden crack in the seemingly formidable imperial defenses. Every human settlement that drops mysteriously out of contact with subsector command is another lost resource of imperial tithe, not to mention another potential threat that costs manpower and machines to investigate. In this way do the gene-stealer cults leech the vitality from imperial subsectors. Parasites that render their hosts too weak to defend themselves when the time comes. Worse still, the cults themselves project a psychic signal that not even the myriad faithful are aware of. As the power of the cult's shared synaptic broodmind grows, it becomes a glimmering beacon in the darkness, a disharmonic choir that the Tyranid hive ships hone in on. This signal promises a world overthrown, or else in the last stages of collapse. Sometimes it signals entire systems that have fallen to the curse of the gene-stealer cults, or even larger regions still. It is an indication of vast quantities of ready biomass, offered up in willing sacrifice to ineffable alien gods. These gods view their worshippers as nothing more than another source of nourishment, raw materials with which to fuel fresh invasions. The Gene-Stealer Curse should a gene-stealer slip through the defenses of an imperial world, it will go to ground amidst the planet's deepest shadows. Whether immersed in the claustrophobic underbelly of a hive city, the depths of a labyrinthian forge complex, or the remote caverns of an agri-world, the alien's curse soon takes hold. The gene-stealer begins its task 
by snatching unlucky victims and hypnotizing them. These first targets are infected with tyranid genetic structures by way of the gene stealer's ovipositor, which enthralls them body and soul to its will. Perceiving the alien as a messianic savior, these thralls abduct further victims to be implanted, a process they term the gene stealer's kiss. Within a few years, successive generations will be born within the cult. The first-generation hybrids are monstrous things, utterly alien and possessed of bulging mauve craniums, chitinous extrusions, and multiple additional limbs. These beings in turn beget the second-generation hybrids, Still grotesque, these second generations are hunched creatures with bestial features and typically an extra arm. Wholly alien though they remain, they nonetheless can communicate in low gothic and possess a more human comprehension of imperial technology. Along with the dexterous digits, with which to manipulate it. Third generation hybrids are more humanoid still, for their posture is now upright and their additional arm, if it exists at all, is typically vestigial and hidden. Yet it is with the fourth generation that the cult produces beings so close to human that they can pass undetected in imperial society. They are still hairless and might look somewhat strange to the careful observer, but their peculiarities are easy enough to conceal. It is during these latter generations also that various cult agents are born to the brood. Specialized individuals, such as the psychic magus, the lordly primus, and the scientifically-minded biophagus, who all help to cement and coordinate the increasingly complex and established gene sect. Offspring born to the fourth generation are not untainted humans, but pure strain gene-stealers. Even so, their parents perceive their nightmare progeny as blessed cherubs and would die for them in a heartbeat. So does the brood cycle begin anew, with the cult's influence and numbers spreading further with each iteration. No matter how large a gene-stealer cult grows, it is typically dominated by a single patriarch via the synaptic link known as the brood mind. It has been proved that, on occasion, locating and slaying the patriarch can shatter this link and hurl the cult into anarchy. However, even in such instances, if the taint is not fully uprooted swiftly, another gene-stealer 
of the patriarch's brood will take its place and establish the brood mind anew. The Ordo Xenos and Death Watch have identified numerous distinct gene stealer cults, such as the Inner Worm, the Cult of the Four Armed Emperor, and the Pauper Princes. Each cult employs its own distinct colorations and worm form glyphs, and is identifiable by unique cultural characteristics and strategic leanings. No one has yet been able to satisfactorily explain how it is that sects of these same cults have been found in entirely separate imperial segmentums, but the implications are ominous. The size to which a gene stealer cult grows depends upon the number and scale of a world's population centers. On especially crowded planets, a cult may seed multiple gene sects, each of which develops its own infrastructures, cult leaders, and agents. Despite this, it is incredibly rare for a single world to host more than one patriarch. Gene sects spawned from the same cult often exhibit minor cultural or doctrinal differences. Local customs or uniforms may dictate that cult colors be worn in secret, or that worm forms be tattooed in hidden places upon the bodies of the faithful. Particular industries or segments of society may predominate in one region more than another, leading one sect to boast vast hosts of neophyte hybrid miners, while another may comprise Adelin prospecting clans or brood brothers concealed amongst the military. Whatever the differences, they are always secondary to cult loyalty and the bond of the brood mind. However many gene sects may establish themselves across the world, the pattern of their societal infiltration is often similar. Most cults begin with the lower orders of imperial society. Mining clans, forge laborers, work gangs, sump dredgers, and the like. Such people's disappearances go unmarked, or else are ignored by overworked enforcers, who consider the rate of attrition amongst the laboring classes to be a natural check and balance. As the cult rises in power and confidence, so it sends subtle tendrils into the very organizations that have so far failed to notice its growing presence, infiltrating the fortified compounds of the enforcers and adeptist arbities. Doing this ensures that the local authorities continue to overlook the cult's operations, even as it grows too large to be easily hidden from their sight. At the same time, the cult claims local gangs, militias, 
and devotees of the imperial faith. Such groups help the cult to extend its influence and accelerate its recruitment, which in turn creates the foundations from which it will extend upwards into the higher echelons of society. Eventually, a gene sect claims sufficient power that begins to assume dominant societal control. Even now, the cult remains carefully hidden and employs its newfound reach to create favorable conditions in which to grow unchallenged. Typically, it is only in these latter stages of a cult's expansion that they risk infiltrating Astra Militarum garrison regiments and local Imperial Navy flotillas. Such organizations have the greatest safeguards against corruption and also pose the most severe risks should the cult's infiltration be detected. However, undermining local military forces is imperative if the uprising is to be victorious. Countless low-born citizens are tithed to fill the ranks of the Imperial Guard or press-ganged in mass to serve aboard naval void ships. In light of the proliferation of tolerated abhumans and minor mutants amongst humanity's teeming masses, this is most often the route by which the gene-stealer curse finds its way into the Imperials' armies. If it remains undiscovered, a gene-stealer cult can continue to proliferate in secret like this for decades, even centuries. Should it grow large enough, the cult's patriarch may even smuggle gene-stealer broods or entire gene sects off-world. These establish subsequent infections known as splinter cults on nearby moons, void stations, or planets. Entire planetary systems can be corrupted in this way, ensuring that when the day of ascension finally arrives, the unfortunate imperial defenders stand precious little chance of keeping the cult from absolute victory. Bread for War While it remains in the shadows, a gene-stealer cult may seem like a peaceful, functioning society. Indeed, it is blighted by neither crime nor internal strife, and all within it toil daily for its furtherance. Yet when a cult reveals itself at last, there can be no mistaking it for anything but an army bred entirely for battle. At the heart of the cult is the patriarch, lurking in its hidden throne room and extending its will through the brood mind. With its chief agents at its side, the patriarch reigns over its subjects like an all-powerful king while they toil day and night to increase their numbers, their stockpiles, and their influence. 
When the patriarch deems the time ripe, it raises one mighty talon and sends its psychic imperative chittering out to the teeming billions who worship it. The day of ascension has come. Each gene sect's armed forces form war bands known as claws, which are gathered and disbanded according to the needs of the patriarch and its war leaders. Even a single claw has the might of arms to overwhelm enemy forces in a raid or skirmish. To hunt down interlopers who threaten to reveal the nascent cult, or to eliminate an enemy leader who might otherwise cause trouble. When the cult throws off its cloak of shadows in fully-fledged uprising, its many claws are bared as one. Icons that for so long had been hidden in concealed shrines are now hoisted proudly aloft. Beings too alien to pass as human are unleashed at last. Their xenomutations no longer a hindrance, but instead blessed weapons of rebellion. Plans long laid are put into motion. The faithful launch sabotages, ambushes, and surprise attacks with inhuman precision. Amidst gangs, militias, and garrisons, infiltrators turn suddenly upon those who thought them allies. The psychological impact of such mass treachery is a weapon in itself. Precious time is lost as loyalist forces struggle to understand what is happening. Dismay, denial, and senseless outrage take their toll. Defenders are overrun even as they seek to reason with comrades turned insurgents, or to demand useless clarification or explanations from their superiors while they should be digging in and fighting back. This advantage of surprise is crucial to the gene-stealer cults. While it is not unheard of for gene sex to control super-heavy battle tanks, massed combat aircraft, or the like, their access to such high-end assets is often limited. Moreover, the vast majority of their forces are best described as paramilitary guerrillas, who must compensate for their lack of heavyweight military hardware through zeal, numbers, and cunning. Cult forces, therefore, seek to seize the initiative from the start of any engagement, and to keep their enemies off balance thereafter. Rather than rush onto the guns of massed foes, entire claws circumnavigate the enemy via crawlways or abandoned surface tunnels before bursting forth in sudden ambush. Strategically crucial regions are sown with booby traps. Skilled cold agents infest communication networks, 
spreading disinformation and demoralizing propaganda, or invade the very minds of key enemy personnel, rendering them puppets to the patriarch's will. Where the cult has amassed heavier assets in the hands of its brood brothers, these are deployed against the most formidable enemy targets, fortifications no cultist has managed to infiltrate, mustering grounds for loyalist defenders, the fortified palaces of ecclesiarchal leaders or planetary governors, astropathic sanctums, all are worthy targets for the cult's mailed fist. In other instances, such valuable reserves may be held back until the enemy have committed their own strength to purge the uprising, or saved to counter any response from imperial elites, such as the Adeptist Arbides or Ordo Xenos. Should Ascension have been triggered early by off-world invaders, it may be the Brood Brothers who bear the initial brunt of fighting, deploying more like conventional armed forces, they seek to slow the invasion, often even fighting alongside unwitting imperial allies, while the Patriarch rouses the full might of its following to rise up and counter-attack. Whatever the case, the Gene sects maintain a footing of total war from the instant their uprising begins. Every living being within the cult strives with everything they have to serve the Patriarch's will and overthrow their enemies, even at the cost of their own lives. After all, their belief in a divine reward amidst the light of the Star Children is total. Sudden insurgencies and hit-and-run raids escalate planet-wide day upon day the cult striking from the shadows like a mini-tentacled monster. The fighting does not end until the last of the patriarch's faithful have martyred themselves for their cause, or else they have claimed their world in the Star Children's name. The Hidden Threat Many amongst the ranks of the gene-stealer cults display an outward aspect of humanity quite at odds with the alien malevolence that simmers within. It is only once the uprising begins that these third and fourth generation hybrids reveal their monstrous allegiances as they turn upon those who once trusted them. The third and particularly the fourth-generation hybrids, are the most populous and widespread members of gene sects. This serves the patriarch well, for these are the individuals most able to pass unnoticed amongst the human herd. It is these hybrids who join the sweating masses laboring in macro mines or amidst the blast furnaces of forge temples, who labor in crop fields or at nutrivats, roam the wilds posing as prospectors, or slip into the ranks of the Astra Militarum, 
The irony is that until their true colors are revealed, their dutiful nature makes these cultists real assets to the Imperium. They are diligent students, hard workers, and seemingly faithful citizens who do all they can to stay out of trouble and make themselves indispensable to their masters. This only makes it all the more shocking when the hybrids turn traitor. On the day of the Great Insurgency, when the populace look to their bravest and most dependable members for protection, they are appalled to find that their supposed allies are fighting not against the monsters boiling up from the depths, but alongside them. Neophyte hybrids are the dedicated and fanatically loyal foot soldiers of their cult, born of the brood cycle's third and fourth generations. So strong is their link to the patriarch that they will toil for years, hurl themselves into suicidal assaults, or fight in inimical environments until their bodies give out, all without a word of complaint. As the cult gathers its strength, the neophytes work their way into position as militia fighters, miners, and menials. There, they stockpile basic weaponry and war gear for the cult to use when the time is right. On the bloody day of uprising, the neophyte hybrids prove themselves capable fighters. They mass in large broods, their bulkier third-generation brothers and sisters, hefting the heaviest weaponry, while the most capable amongst them naturally assume command. Raising their worm-form icons high, they surge forth to overwhelm the horrified unbelievers. The Adeline Jackals, fourth-generation hybrids, serve their gene sect as outsiders. Astride their dirt cycles, they soar through tunnels and across dusty plains in tight-knit packs, their mental bond allowing them to move and hunt as a perfectly unified force. Before the uprising comes, Adeline Jackals operate behind a veil of legitimacy. Adeline-class vehicles are commonplace on almost every Imperial world. Being standard-issue transports, rugged and simple enough to endure decades of rough handling, and to run off almost any fuel. Riding these, the Jackals pose as operatives for mining corporations, aqua prospectors, nomadic beast herders, and intrepid scouts. They use these covers to locate new recruiting grounds for the cult, or else to gather intelligence on trade routes, military outposts, resource deposits, and the like. Foremost in such efforts are the Jackal Alphases. These natural leaders range furthest of all, 
possessing the constitution to travel for days under blazing sun or through freezing gloom, gathering reams of vital information for their sex nexos. In battle, Adeline Jackals act as a swift reconnaissance and raiding force, picking off weak or isolated enemy units and harassing the foe's flanks. Heavier support is provided by wolf quads, light prospecting vehicles whose mining lasers and incinerators are easily turned from tools of progress into weapons of war. The longer an Astra Militarum regiment remains stationed on a prey world, the more completely and established gene sect will seek to infiltrate its ranks. Be they infantrymen, tank crews, or other soldiery, those corrupted in this way are known as brood brothers. Especially valuable assets are targeted where possible sometimes with spectacular results. The devastation unleashed when the tainted Raychan 457th Death Strike missile battery unleashed their Vortex warhead remains a cautionary tale amongst the Death Watch. Equally, reports from Foley Prime suggest the cult uprising there commands a trio of super-heavy Stormlord tanks with which they have wreaked untold damage. Such examples of high-value asset theft are rare, however. The risks of detection inherent in subverting such well-guarded weapons often outweighs the rewards. More commonly, Brood Brothers aim to infiltrate the lower echelons of the regimental structure then work their way up. They replace each bona fide Imperial soldier one at a time, until entire corps answer not to their superior officers, but instead to the patriarch of the cult. In doing this, the Brood Brothers gain access to reliable military-grade firearms and hardened communications technology, man-portable heavy weaponry, and sometimes even the heavier war engines from which the Astra Militarum are so famed. Perhaps the most cynical aspect of this process is that even as they are having their ranks hollowed out from within, the Imperial Guard continue to train the cult infiltrators in the very tactics and weapon rituals that will soon be turned against them. Squad by squad, platoon by platoon, the Brood Brothers maneuver themselves into positions of trust. If all goes well for them, their still loyal comrades will never recognize the blade laid at their collective throat until it cuts deep. The Deformed and Deranged The melding of Tyranid and human gene structures produces broods of chimeric grotesques, whose alien otherness is rendered all the more disturbing for being tinged with humanoid anatomy 
and intellect. Such beings form the shock troops of the cult. Their xeno-augmented speed and strength rendering them as dangerous to fight as they are hideous to look upon. The more malformed servants of the patriarch remain hidden during the cult's gestation. If seen, they would likely be hunted as mutants, or worse still, draw the notice of some vigilant imperial agent. As no patriarch would risk a full-scale purge being unleashed upon its brood, these beings lurk in the prey world's darkest depths until the time is right. There, they worship the patriarch and the star children, their inhuman hissing and chanting echoing through dank caverns and around alien idols of iron, flesh, and bone. They prowl the boundaries of the cult's inner sanctum as tireless guardians, or slink through the gloom on covert missions of sabotage and assassination. Many toil endlessly in deep workings and fetid undersumps, like grim folkloric horrors. Brooding upon the day, they will claim the surface realms from those who walk in the light. On the day of ascension, all this changes. These most monstrous broods are loosed at last to rampage through the world so long denied to them. Filled with inhuman cruelty and fervently loyal to the patriarch, they surge to the forefront of the most crucial battles. Here, the very alien mutations that might previously have made these creatures a liability instead render them the most fearsome of their gene sect's warriors. The first and second generations of a brood cycle are entirely too alien to blend into human society. These acolyte hybrids are the foremost cultists of the patriarch, its most loyal sons and daughters, and the vigilant guardians of its lair. Though their minds are wholly alien, they are imbued with an echo of their human parents' consciousness. This grants them an instinctive comprehension of imperial technologies and language that aids them in shadowy raiding and assassination campaigns they often undertake. The gene-stealer portion of the Acolyte's heritage, meanwhile, provides them with the raw strength to heft huge industrial power tools and bear them into battle. They employ these oversized and brutish weapons to carve up the enemy's toughest warriors and armored fighting vehicles. Further equipped with hand flamers and auto pistols, devastating blasting charges, and the vicious talons and fangs that are their unnatural inheritance, Acolyte hybrids possess ample weaponry with which to sow destruction 
amongst the enemy. The occurrence of hybrid metamorphs amongst the ranks of the cult is seen by many broodkin as a great blessing. The creatures mutate from first or second generation specimens, their arms transforming into claws that can crush ferrocrete, whips of barbed sinew, or hooked chitinous blades. Some develop gruesome tentacles that fringe their maws, or quivering throat sacs that turn their bile to bioacid. Many amongst the cult make offerings to appease the metamorphs, believing that to do so is to curry favor with the star children. In truth, metamorphs usually mutate as a result of a tyranid splinter fleet drawing close. Sensing a developed gene-stealer cult nearby, the hive mind sends a synaptic imperative and triggers dormant gene codes buried within the bodies of the faithful. This helps to ensure that when the Tyranid begin their onslaught, the cult already contains plentiful war beasts to aid with the overthrow of the prey world. Occasionally, metamorphs also spawn as instinctive defense mechanisms. Should the broodmind suffer great trauma, be it the onset of a warp storm, the peril of large-scale discovery, or an alien invasion, it forces the premature mutation of these creatures to help defend the patriarch. What errors in the brood cycle give rise to aberrance, none can say. Imperial xenobiologists have posited everything from injection with a damaged ovipositor or failures of bio-experimentation to the influence of encroaching warp storms or even the residual human spirit rebelling against its xenos bondage to the detriment of its host body. Whatever their cause, these lumpen and simple-minded monsters often seek out a biophages and follow their bidding without question. Indeed, some aberrants become the favored experimental subjects of those deranged gene manipulators. Gene-stealer cults make ready use of aberrants' tireless strength. The beasts are now set to work out hacking new tunnels to connect cult hideouts, breaking open ancient caches of resources or weaponry, or excavating sappers' work under imperial strongholds that reductus saboteurs then pack with explosives. The most cunning of their kind are even dispatched on occasional brute force assassination missions, lumbering from the sewers into the dead of night to make a bloody example of one who has proved an obstacle to the cult. When the uprising begins, however, these subtle methods are cast aside. Aberrants make for exceptional line breakers and living shields, and can be cast into battle as carelessly and with the same destructive impact as a cluster of heavy blasting charges. 
to better herd its aberrant shock troops to battle. The patriarch visits further augmentations upon a chosen aberrant in each gene sect. From the bubbling liquids of the genesis pools is birthed a mind-worm familiar, an imp-like creature infused with the patriarch's own sentience that scurries to inject its master's genetic structures into the chosen aberrant using its diminutive ovipositor. Over agonizing nights and days, rampant gigantism and mutagenic regeneration reshape the aberrant's already hulking physique into something more freakish and powerful still. So simple-minded are these abominants that they can be kept quiet with a few pilfered children's toys or discarded carcasses. But when war calls, each becomes a terrifying force of destruction. Directed by its skittering mindworm familiar, the abominant thunders into battle, swinging its huge hammer in crushing arcs its ripping flesh healing as swiftly as the enemy can damage it. Agents of the Cult Simply gathering manpower and material is not enough to ensure the cult victory. During its latter generations, the brood cycle produces many specialized bioforms whose instinctive expertise and remarkable abilities render them more valuable to their gene sect than entire hordes of fanatical soldiers or squadrons of stolen tanks. The Primus is a third-generation hybrid that typically emerges from the brood cycle when a Tyranid splinter fleet draws near or when the cult requires unwavering martial leadership. Strong, robust, and straight-backed, they command their brood siblings with the instinctive confidence needed to rally even the more disparate of cult forces. It is no wonder, therefore, that many primuses are idolized by their gene sect as revolutionary heroes blessed by the Patriarch itself. Before the Day of Ascension, it falls to the Primus to draw up meticulous plans for the uprising to come. It is also their duty to oversee the seizure of transport vehicles and void ships by which splinter cults can be seeded throughout the wider star system. As the Great Day draws nigh, the Primus takes over military leadership of their gene sect's forces. They become the avatar and the fist of their patriarch, an iconic war leader whose warriors would follow them into certain death at their gene sire's merest whim. Even before the main assault, the Primus leads the front, masterminding raids deep behind enemy lines and then commanding them in person. When the uprising begins in earnest, 
This continues on a wider scale, with the Primus now directing the entire overwhelming attack against the Bray world. In battle, the Primus is a force to be reckoned with. They employ toxins distilled from their own bloodstream, injecting them into the enemy via hissing needlers and vicious injector claws. Those not felled by these repellent fluids are soon cut down by the psychically charged blade of living bone the Primus wields. Said to be crafted from the stuff of the Patriarch's own throne, these abominable weapons suck the life from their victims and leave them as lifeless husks. The Nexos emerges from the brood cycle as the cult's numbers swell to aid the Patriarch in coordinating its teeming followers. Physically, this bioform appears weak and withered. Fat veins pulse beneath the papery skin of their temples. Bruised flesh surrounds their jaundiced eyes, and a slight tremor accompanies their every movement. These symptoms denote not frailty, however, but rather the immense physical strain imposed by the Nexos's incredible mental abilities. Gifts that render them invaluable rear echelon strategists and commanders. By laying their hands upon one infected with the gene stealer taint, the Nexos is able to absorb a full mental and sensory imprint of every instant of that being's life. They can do this millions of times, compartmentalizing and cross-referencing each of these psychometric records to build a remarkable three-dimensional mental map. In this way, the Nexos becomes an encyclopedic expert on the cult's territories and capabilities, and the sprawling planetary battlefield across which it engages its foes. Armed with this biological supercomputer inside their head, the Nexos acts as the gene sect's strategic nervous system. They direct entire claws of warriors to outmaneuver and overrun the cult's foes often combining their efforts with the information warfare of the Klamavis to accomplish feats beyond the organizational capabilities of an entire Imperial command post. The influence of the Keller Morph can be seen in the vivid folktales of the laboring classes and the defiant set of their shoulders against the lash of Imperial rule. It is evident in the graffiti motifs of a three-armed gunfighter with a billowing cloak and in the trails of bullet-riddled corpses strewn in the creature's wake. To the masses, the Keller Morph is a heroic symbol of revolution. To those in power, it is a mutant anarch and a threat to the peace of the Emperor's realm. In truth, this bioform 
is something darker and more cynical in nature than either of these anthropocentric interpretations. The Keller morph is, in fact, a third-generation cult hybrid fashioned from cultured gene strains of the local populace. It is genetically tailored to exploit the human psyche, preying upon the hopes and hatreds of the downtrodden, and upon the desires for adventure and rebellion rife among criminal elements and bored hive-spired dilettantes alike. From its boosted reaction speed and phenomenal sensory acuity to its unnatural agility and perfect poise, the Kellermorph's superhuman aptitudes place it beyond the grasp of heavy-handed imperial justice. Driven by instinct and the will of the patriarch, this defiant one-man army strikes wherever its victories will win it the greatest renown as a figure of liberation and hope. The hails of gunfire from its liberator auto stubs become the stuff of local legend as they mow down legions of faceless oppressors and reduce even armored war engines to blazing wrecks. So enduring does the legend of the three-armed gunmen become that many idolize or even seek to emulate its achievements. Thus, anarchy spreads through the underbelly of the prey world, as the disaffected from all walks of life are drawn unwittingly into the embrace of the cult. Born of psychically gifted cult inductees, Maguses possess an outwardly human aspect, coupled with tremendous charisma and formidable intellect. Behind this facade, they are first and foremost an extension of their patriarch's will, steeped in alien taint and wholly devoted to the rise and spread of the cult. They are agents of subtle misrule content to operate from the shadows of their master's throne until the uprising begins in full. During the cult's gradual gestation, each gene sect's magus wages a war of honeyed words and psychic domination. Treading carefully to avoid disaster, they forge into the otherwise unassailable strata of the aristocracy the ecclesiarchical elite, and the inner circles of planetary governance. A single audience with a magus can transform a staunch opponent of the cult into a valuable agent of its cause, or else see them reduced to inexplicable insanity should they prove intractable. On more populous worlds with multiple gene sects, maguses may even seek to outdo one another in their endeavors. Such characters compete for their patriarch's favor with all the determination of rival siblings. Once the Day of Ascension arrives, however, all such notions of personal ambition 
fall away in favor of absolute obedience to the patriarch's wishes. Each magus becomes a focal point for cult forces, a potent battle psyker who can drive their brothers and sisters into frenzied violence while manipulating the foe like blank-eyed puppets, compelling them to fall upon one another with guns blazing. The Klamavis utterances are echoes of the Patriarch's own holy voice, and when they roll like thunder through the spires and manufactorums of a hive city, they can compel millions to take up arms. Klamavuses are masterful agents of misinformation, who use their Vox interceptor arrays to hack into enemy communication networks, stealing vital intelligence and replacing it with ominous broadcasts laced with psycho-resonant broodmind feedback. During the years of the cult's gestation, it is the task of each Klamavis to spread fear and confusion through every available channel. To this end, they pervert Vox exchanges, distort vid feeds, and work to undermine popular confidence in the ruling elite. The Klamavis feeds corrupted psalms, hymnals, and religious primers into the lower levels of imperial society, each publication replete with insidious double meanings. They have even been known to taint the minds and souls of Astra Militarum soldiery by distributing doctored copies of the Imperial Infantryman's uplifting primer. When the war comes, the Klamavis's link to the Gestalt psychic aura of the cult makes them a valuable frontline asset. Unlike a magus, a Klamavis cannot wield this power as a precise instrument. Instead, they transmit the nullifying resonance of the shadow in the warp, a smothering and often lethal phenomenon usually associated with the onset of the Tyranid hive fleets. Each static hiss of the Klamavis's scrambler array is attuned to the unified consciousness of billions of indoctrinated organisms. A choir of abnormal minds howling in supplication to the hive mind. When overheard at close proximity, this audio virus causes a devastating psychic overload that can boil the brains of any foes unlucky enough to stumble into earshot. Into this third generational hybrid, the Reductus Saboteur, is distilled the cult's accumulated knowledge of explosives and destructive engineering. As a result, the Reductus Saboteur is able to fashion demolitions devices, booby traps, and lightweight battlefield charges from even the most unlikely components. 
Indeed, they are driven to experiment and build in this fashion by an instinctive compulsion. Whether distilling volatile solutions from seemingly harmless chemicals, or looting scrap heaps and servitor graveyards for components, their goal is to build an ever more versatile explosive armory for the cult. While some of their creations boast massive power, others rely upon being easy to conceal, and are so complex in their fail-safes that they are impossible to disarm. Others still are so easy to mass-produce that entire broods of cultists can be equipped with them, while some devices are so reliable that they can be immersed for days in salt water chemical sumps, or the blistering heat of forge temples, yet still detonate precisely when they are required to. To the reductus falls the duty of toppling the machinery and physical symbols of oppression. This may see them squirming through pipes and ducts to cripple weapon batteries or shield generators or planting bombs to fell towering statues of the false god-emperor. It may lead them to stalk through the shadows of vehicle hangars, painting fuel supplies or wiring concealed bombs to the tracks of battle tanks, or to publicly assassinating the cult's most prominent opponents with concealed booby traps. Upon the battlefield, the Reductus Saboteur lives up to its name, sabotaging entire combat engagement areas with nigh-invisible devices. Equally deadly in direct assault, they will flit from the shadows just long enough to clamp a handful of demolition charges to the hull of an enemy tank, then vanish again before the explosions begin. When not slinking through the shadows upon a mission of assassination, the Sanctus can be found lurking in the gloom surrounding its gene sire's throne. From this vantage point, the Sanctus watches tirelessly for threats to the Patriarch. None can escape its notice. Those not detected by its formidable olfactory senses are inevitably revealed by its multispectral goggles, themselves stolen from the Departmento Munitorium or plucked from the corpse of some elite Imperial soldier. No foe can flee from a Sanctus, for the Patriarch impresses the psychic spore scent of each fresh victim upon the Bioform's consciousness. Following this trail, the Sanctus can track its quarry across worlds and even through the vast nothingness of the void. The Sanctus works alone, but for a single soul sight familiar, spawned from the steaming bio-gruel of the Genesis pools. This diminutive creature acts as the Patriarch's eyes and ears allowing its consciousness to accompany the Sanctus upon each deadly mission. 
So supported, the sanctus employs its wiry strength and grotesquely jointed anatomy to full advantage. Scaling the most inaccessible vantage points, or squeezing into apparently impregnable bolt holes, once in position, it is only a matter of time before the sanctus delivers death to its prey either by the slashing assault of its bio-dagger or with a pinpoint round delivered from the whisper-silent sniper rifle. The Locus is a gene-bred bodyguard that conceals its powerful xeno-mutated form beneath heavy cowled robes. Inhumanly patient, these creatures stand at the shoulder of many a magus or nexos, still as statues, but unblinkingly aware of the slightest threat to their master. Should assassins strike, the locus embodies the cult's riposte, exploding into a sudden whirlwind of motion with the speed of a striking tyranid lictor. Robes part to reveal vestigial weapon limbs and a lashing tail with a chitinous barb. Yet it is the locust's twin sabers that serve as its most fearsome weapon. One swings out, lightning fast, to parry the descending knife or whistling bolt shell of the killer. The other takes the attacker's head neatly from their shoulders. Only once the locust's master is safe do the creature's blades return to their back scabbards, its robes settling back over the nightmare form that lurks beneath. It is common for a locust to accompany their gene sect's magus during diplomatic parleys with the great and the good of imperial society. Here they back their master's words with a sense of watchful menace, or simply fade into the background as required. Should negotiations prove troublesome, the locus will subtly twist the head of the neural trommel rod that it carries like a staff of office. This cruel device radiates a mental disruption field that can induce splitting migraines or terrifying hallucinations in those not inducted into the cult. In this way, the locus helps its master to bludgeon into compliance those who might otherwise refuse to see things the magus's way. Rampant Infestation Many imperial worlds have already fallen to gene-stealer cults. While some of these were soon consumed by Tyranid splinter fleets, others have become the origin points of covert interplanetary infiltration, or even open military conquests. In this way, some cults take to the stars to spread the curse in their patriarch's name. It is an instinctive behavior of the gene-stealer cults to start shipping broods of pure strains off-world as soon as they are established and secure enough to do so. 
besides serving to seed the gene stealer curse on fresh prey worlds, this practice also ensures that should the parent cult be discovered and purged, its splinter cults will survive to continue its legacy. Equally, planets subject to suitable tithes may be able to pollute their neighbors, or even send the curse through warp space to entirely separate subsectors by exporting tainted foodstuffs, labor gangs, medical supplies, or redeployed garrison regiments. For those cult-conquered worlds with sufficient military and industrial infrastructure, there is also a more direct route to propagation. It is not unheard of for fortress worlds or forge worlds to be subsumed wholesale by a cult, which then, either by stealth or by force, secures sufficient void-capable ships to mobilize its armies in mass. Unified in purpose through their brood-mind connection, the faithful who survived the war to conquer the world immediately set about producing more war engines and weaponry to bear into battle. Leaders such as the Primus, the Nexos, and the Clamavis marshal the claws to ensure their readiness for frontline combat. What results may still be a ragtag force compared to the regimented ranks of the Astra Militarum. It might be transported by a mismatched flotilla of naval frigates, tramp traders, and pilgrim barges, and may well be good for no more than a single, somewhat amateurish planetary invasion before needing to either replenish its ranks or revert to planet-bound guerrilla activities. Nonetheless, such forces benefit from the twin advantages of alien single-mindedness and the element of surprise, rendering them entirely capable of interplanetary conquest. There are also those cults whose foundations are built upon void travel to begin with, Ordo-Zeno's archives are replete with stories of isolated pirate bands, beast-smuggling cartels, or remote secessionist enclaves that have fallen through the gene-stealer curse. The raids and blockade runs launched by such groups prove excellent vectors for the delivery of pure-strain gene-stealers. Indeed, more than one hardy imperial settlement has seen an apparently failed attack by what they believed were desperate mutant bandits, only to fall ominously silent weeks or months later. Other void-faring cultists are more insidious still. Beneath a banner of legitimacy, they attach themselves to the personal flotillas of rogue traders chartered pathfinders on the fringes of imperial space, whose activities may be the only contact an outlying imperial world has with the wider human race for many years. 
the Death Watch are actively pursuing more than one group of this kind, believing them to be infiltrated by the Gene Stealer curse. Recent years have even seen Gene Stealer cults stage uprisings from within the labyrinthian bowels of Imperial Navy warships. The security measures surrounding such craft are some of the tightest in any arm of the Imperial war machine, but they can still be bypassed by sufficiently cunning or fortunate broodkin. Mauled Navy squadrons, cut off from their usual ports by enemies or warp storm activities, may seek to repair and rearm at void stations or orbital docks where occult presence exists. While docked in this way, pure strain gene stealers may slip aboard them, whether hidden inside specially machined hollow munitions or shipping containers destined for deep holds. Other hard-pressed warships may be press-gang entire hive slums or frontier colonies in their haste to replenish lost crew serfs, never realizing the poisoned bounty they are reaping. From such ill-fated endeavors spring violent uprisings that see cold masses boil up from a vessel's lower holds. Tainted naval armsmen turn their guns on their comrades, and the ship's bridge becomes a war zone as turncoat crew assail those still loyal to the Golden Throne. Despite all these efforts, many more spaceborne uprisings have failed at the first hurdle, or claimed a single vessel only to see it blasted to glowing wreckage by the dismayed crews of its sister ships. Yet the most tenacious, resourceful, and cunning cults have successfully captured Imperial warships, or even entire squadrons of them. Groups such as the Starcoil Cult, the Cult of the Shadowed Tendril, and the infamous Godworm Apostles have all taken possessions of fully-fledged Imperial Navy assets and have subsequently wrought havoc and misery through subsectors that should have been digging in and preparing for the headlong onslaught of the Tyranid Hive Fleets. <laughs>